In today's episode, I have a fantastic conversation with Manjeet Garcha. Why I love this conversation was the honesty um, and the insights that Manjeet shared with us. Um, Manjeet was previously a chief nurse of a CCG, so clinical commissioning group in the NHS, and was one of very few um, ethnically diverse chief nurses at the time working in a commissioning organisation. She shares her story and her journey, starting off as um, you know staff nurse training, working her way through very all different, a variety of roles in nursing. She talks to us about how she made decisions about where and how she wanted to progress. And ultimately that, that ultimate goal of becoming a chief nurse that was there for her. And what she did to, to navigate her way into that role, when as she said, there were no role models around her who looked like her to support or guide or give her that internal inspiration to get there. Manjeet then walked away from that career and she talks from the heart about what it meant to her when she secured that role in her hometown. But she walked away from all of that and has started her career again by setting up her own business. And she talks to us about why and ultimately why that has given her, is helping her, let me use that language, is helping her to fulfill her desire to give back to as many people as she can on a global scale. I really enjoyed this conversation, but as I said to Manjeet, there were so many gems in there. I speak so much in Bravery in the Boardroom about these online mentoring conversations. This really was a mentoring conversation about how to navigate your career and as Manjeet says so simply, how to own it. Manjeet, hello. Oh my gosh, I've been waiting for so long to get you on Bravery in the Boardroom. I feel like we spoke quite a while ago, but it's fantastic to have you here today. You're very welcome. Thank you. It's very good to be here. Thank you for inviting me and Happy New Year. Yes, same to you, depending on when people are listening to this, right? So before we kick off, there's so I know there are so many avenues that I want us to unpack today. Um, we spoke about some of those when we had our pre-episode chat, but it'd be really good for our audience to know a little bit about you um, and your current role. Okay, so I'm Manjit Garcha. I'm a nurse and midwife by background. I was born in England to uh, parents that came from India in the 1950s, early 60s. And um, so I've been through uh, my nursing career uh, from 1984 till now, really. And, um, and I was really lucky in the sense that I was able to progress up to chief nurse level um, and I retired at, at that stage. And then I've had the opportunity to set up um, uh, my little uh, business, which is a startup, which I've done recently. Uh, but my nursing career was long. Um, it was very interesting. It was very varied mm. and it covered community. It covered primary care, covered midwifery. Um, all the way to strategic health authorities and quality safety. Did basically what I think most nurses will do in their career. Um, but I was lucky to be able to achieve um, the status of chief nurse before I retired. Thank you. Thank you. And there's so many different elements to what you just explained um, that I'd like to unpack. And before we go any further, I think I want to call out as well, many a time when we have Bravery in the Boardroom webinars and we're speaking with aspiring senior leaders it comes up so many times about what is it i need you know what is it i need in my locker to be able to progress what are those insights that you can give me um before stepping into senior leadership and i think one of the things i know from yourself is about that that spread that breadth 
of nursing experience that you've had and the different NHS organisations you've worked for as well. So I, I want to understand a bit more about that as we speak. But before we go any further, we're all about leadership, as you know. How would you describe your leadership style in three words? Um, my leadership? Uh, well, I'm, I'd like to think that I'm credible. I'd like to think that people trust me. Mm -hmm. Those are very important for me. Um, because I think before I move into doing any work with anybody, um, being able to influence or change, I need for them to look in my eye and see that they can trust me. Mm -hmm. uh, and that for me has been always very important and vice versa. I need to be able to trust them too. Um, I've, um, I, I've built up an air of resilience mm -hmm. and, and I think that's through the experiences that, that, that you have during your lifetime. So I'd like to think that my leadership is resilient. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd also say um, that my leadership style is open in the sense that I'm not stuck in any particular way. Yes. I meet people halfway and we go with the flow. And if my particular, you know, style is not good, then I'll adapt. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously it's always to be able to meet the needs of whatever we're wanting to do. So as long as we can achieve the outcome, it doesn't really matter to me how much how we get there. Okay, okay, thank you very much. So for me, I'd like to know more about your career journey and I'm gonna ask, let's start with the challenges because I know in making your way into that role as chief nurse and then as you say, from retirement, moving into becoming a business owner, it'd be really good to hear about the early part of your career and how that moved for you and what challenges you experienced there. Yeah, so I think my very first challenge was even before I went into nursing. Mm -hmm. um, so this was a, a personal cultural um, um, challenge of trying to persuade my family to allow me to go into nursing. Mm -hmm. And um, some people listening might be thinking, why did you need your parents to allow you mm -hmm. to go into nursing? Well, in my culture, that's what was expected and that's what I, I could do. And I knew that if I had the blessing of my parents or my future in-laws, I would be able to pursue a career in nursing. And that's exactly what happened. My father uh, wasn't too happy about me going into nursing whilst I was still unmarried. And luckily, going through the arranged marriage process, I was able to find a, a suitable partner that didn't have an issue with me. So so really, at the age of 16, 17, I think I started to find that was my biggest challenge. Once I started my nursing training, um, the next challenge for me was that... Uh, uh, and I don't know what the agenda was, although, you know, there, there's some schools of thought around it. But mm. uh, um, a group of us were pushed into doing the enrolled nurse training instead of the staff nurse training, which we thought we were being um, uh, interviewed for. And uh, we didn't really know the main difference between the two until mm -hmm. about six weeks into the training. And then it took me six years from that day onwards to actually convert to staff nurse. I think that was my biggest challenge. So I did two years of my training trying to work out, okay, so what is it that I'm doing as an enrolled nurse, which is different to what staff nurses are mm. doing? And I made up my mind very, very early that that actually was my goal. So I spent two years of my training trying to learn everything that staff nurses were doing. And then once I'd qualified, I spent the next four years waiting to um, get on to do my conversion. So before I qualified as a staff nurse, I'd already had six years of challenges to, to be able to do that. Once I became a staff nurse, and that wasn't an easy journey, it was waiting, frustrating and changing my trust, the, the actual organisation mm. that I worked for in order to 
go to another organisation where their waiting list was shorter. So once I qualified as a staff nurse, then the door started to open because then I quickly was able to do my midwifery mm-hmm. and I was able to progress. And there were much, much more opportunities then. You could work in the community, you could work in local authority, primary care, but you needed that staff nurse mm-hmm. title. Um, so I felt more doors opened uh, as far as my ability to be able to do the job. But all of a sudden then, the challenges came around competition. Mm-hmm. You know, who was I competing with? And then it became more clear as to the extra hoops that you have to jump and the extra uh, bits of everything that you have to learn, um, which is outside of that job role. But you feel that you need to do that in order to just get more brownie points, I think. And um, I was just explaining to someone earlier that, you know, you spent, I probably spent years of my life, if you counted all the total number of hours, where I've taken time out away from my family, my children, to go and do curricular activities that sat outside of my work altogether. But I knew were going to be valuable in giving me those extra uh, pieces of experience. So I was in my mind, I was trying to put this jigsaw together. Mm. Um, so I wanted to go and see what practice nurses did. I wanted to see what social service nurses did. I wanted to see what uh, people were doing, not just locally, but regionally, nationally, internationally. And so when I qualified as a midwife, I got to the point where I was thinking, oh, well, what, what do midwives do elsewhere? And that took me on a journey to go to Canada and work as a midwife there for two years, which was amazing, loved it, but came back home and then more challenges to get back in. Mm. So midwifery doors were shut to me at that time unless I took um, um, a drop down in the grades, etc. So I decided that I was just going to go into general nursing again and took my first ward manager role. Um, again, cha- not just challenges um, of the role itself. Mm. Uh, ward management is especially when you're positioned in a ward that is failing. So you've got the challenges of staffing, you've got quality metrics, etc. But again, you know, if you're the ward manager of, say, an elderly care ward, then, you know, when it comes to um, other, other ward managers that might be running A&E or cardiac, etc., you, you're, further, you're further down in, in pecking order, really, aren't you? And um, so therefore your needs and your ward's needs or your staff needs are not deemed that important. But that was the first time in my career, I think, I met a chief exec that really listened mm. and and he was the one that said to me, so you need staff in order to be able to improve quality of care on your ward, improve outcomes for your patients and make it a better environment. So what do you want to do, you know? And um, so he said, go away, look into it and then come back to me for a solution. I was quite taken back because I'd never had that mm-hmm. in all these years. Um, nobody had ever said to me, so what, what is it that you think will work? And um, so I went away, I looked into it and I went back to him with a couple of options and he supported my suggestion to go overseas to recruit nurses. Um, That was my first experience in 1999 and so we went out with the Department of Health to recruit uh, nurses from India. And uh, it it was an experience um, that I learned from very quickly. Um, It wasn't a a, a good experience. as, a, as an experience as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, only in the sense that um, 
We didn't recruit as many nurses as we thought we would, but then that was because of how we were prepared um, to to undergo the, the process as well. So I came back and again, I um, wrote to the Department of Health with some ideas as to how that process could be improved. I think in hindsight, I could have just taken it and come back and said, oh, well, that was a waste of time or wasn't or whatever. But I thought it was my responsibility to bring that to their attention. And that led me to then being offered the role. They they advertised, I interviewed, and I got the role as Head of International Recruitment for India Project. And that was a national role, which I did for five years. And I think we recruited many thousands of nurses, mm-hmm. maybe about eight or 9,000 nurses. Um, but the process itself, you know, I learned a lot from it. I matured a lot from it. And it um, it's made the passion of um, nursing mm-hmm. and nurses even stronger because, you know, for a while I'd been so involved in myself as to how I was going to progress. I I suppose I hadn't thought too much about the nursing side of me. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, um, when these nurses started to arrive from overseas, not just India, but Philippines and other countries, um, started to look at what they were going through and having had the experience of working as an immigrant nurse myself in Canada, I really understood, um, you know, their pains and their frustrations. Some of them worked as very senior nurses and now had come to work at basic level. So, and and no credit was ever given to to that part of them. Um, so that five year journey of looking after international nurses, and and the efforts and the work that we put in then I think I can say that I still reap the rewards because those contacts are made then, those relationships that I formed then, um, they're still my good friends now, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and um, that I keep in touch with them. I've still got my phone number, same number that I had 20-odd years ago. And it's so nice when out of the blue a nurse will call me and say, I just wanted to share this good news with you, <laughs> you know, or I'm going for a really big job interview, mm-hmm. please can you help? Mm-hmm. And, and that has been lovely. So I haven't been an official mentor. I've been uh, a very informal, but it's lovely that there's a handful of them now working at senior level, which is great, you know, for, for me. So challenges along the way, there have been mm. many, mm-hmm. including health, mm. you know. And um, as I've shared with you before, so I'm uh, coming up to 11 years, breast cancer survivor, and that in itself has got cultural challenges it's got health challenges and it challenged me at work mm-hmm. you know because I thought that uh, I sh- shouldn't and couldn't have all, all that time off for myself to go through the treatment I thought my job was at risk I thought nobody was going to look after my portfolio and that I wouldn't really have a job to go back to so I pushed myself to work mm-hmm. whilst I was having the treatment and that really didn't do me any favours. And what role was you in, Manji, at that chief time? Chief nurse, chief nurse at the CCG. I hadn't been in the role very long when I got diagnosed. And, um, you know, having that year out when you're just going into a new organisation, new role, the CCGs had just been authorised. There was a lot to do. Everybody was a little bit uncertain as mm. to what was going on. But um, anyway, uh, my accountable officer was very kind. We had a, a good conversation and um, she made me have some time off. You know, it, it sort of brought it home to me that I'm gonna have to fight for this if I want it enough. Mm. And I did want it enough. 
and um, and I guess that's when I really had to dig deep and find that courage to sit in a boardroom, you know, and really show who I was mm-hmm. so that they were able to then respect me and know my worth. I knew my worth. I needed but their, the, the board to know my worth. And so, again, more challenges because... I had to make sure that I was really, really, really well over prepared to go into any meeting. Mm. I'd read the papers over and over and over again. I, I I met with people outside of the meetings to make sure that I understood. Um, you know, it's all about allyship, isn't it? You know, so you meet with people outside of the meeting. You want to discuss their paper. You want to discuss what issues you've got. And you really get to know around the table who you're going to be able to rely on. Mm -hmm. And that was really important. And there was just a handful of people that really understood. There were some people that I knew I wouldn't be able to rely on, other people that I knew that I could, and vice versa. It was nice to build those relationships. Um, But those next three or four years in settling into that role, um, yes. So it, it was challenging in the sense that I felt, that I had to go back in order to go forward. It really knocks your confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Not just the illness, but being away um, that long. Um, you know, that continuation is a, it isn't there. The consistency isn't there. And for anybody that's gone through the treatment, I really have to say that, you know, people talk about fuzzy brain, chemo brain. It really does exist. Mm-hmm. It really does. Mm-hmm. Because you wake up one day and you can't remember the most basic. And you think, why why, why don't I know this? Mm-hmm. You know, this is what I've been doing. This is my basic bread and butter. Why don't I know this? And um, so you really, really, really do have to dig deep to get that courage to be able to move forward. And um, I was glad I did it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, lost friends along the way. You do when you... Um, come through a situation where you personally uh, are affected because then you know who your your real friends are. So I lost people along the way, but then you make new friends, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, people that share that same um, uh, interest or they might have had the same experience um, as yourself, or it might be some complete stranger that you've never met before, but you're able to relate to in some way or another. You mentioned... Um the, uh, when you first mentioned about your breast cancer diagnosis and when it happened, you also mentioned about culture. So in your culture, tell me a little bit more about that and why that was an added challenge for you about mm. being diagnosed with cancer and yeah. your culture. So cancer in the Punjabi um, culture is still very taboo. Mm. Um, you know, the C word, as they call it. Um, it's, there's a lot of work being done now um, to be able to help and support um, uh, BAME um, you know, people with a diagnosis. Um, and there's lots more now than there was available at that time. But um, culturally and my family, mm-hmm. uh, we'd had an experience of um, a young cousin of mine being um, diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. And when the family went public with, with that, well, their life changed mm-hmm. because it's cultural that everybody just transcends on the family then. You know, you don't have any private time left. And... Um, Everybody means well, uh, but it's very draining. It's very, very draining. So when I had my diagnosis, I had to make a decision. Do I share? And then I have no control as to who it goes with, goes out to, uh, or do I keep it uh, controlled as much as possible? I chose to keep it controlled. Mm-hmm. So the only people that I chose to tell was obviously my husband, my children, and two or three really close relatives and friends. 
to this day, my mother is 98 years of age, doesn't know wow. my diagnosis at wow. the time. And I think if I went and told her now, she she wouldn't believe me, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But um, there was no reason for her to know. And we've had different arguments for different people to say, oh, but your mom, mm. you didn't tell your mom. Mm. And I strongly believe to this day that there was no reason for my mom to know mm. and go through that agony uh, and the pain of, oh, my, my daughter has got breast cancer. My mom would to some degree blame herself, mm. you know, and I didn't want her to feel that she was responsible for anything. Mm. I didn't want her, I didn't want to cause her any undue stress. Um, so I chose not to tell her. And um, my husband's mom, who lived with us at the time, she didn't know either. And so, you know, there was lots of people that I didn't tell, but I don't regret it. I think that made me um, an even stronger person. Mm. It mm. made me uh, find those deep um, coping strategies that I didn't realize I had because I couldn't be open with my illness in my house. Yeah. You know, it's very difficult to have uh, chemotherapy and then have a week of nausea and vomiting, mm. but then confine yourself to your bedroom. And, um, you know, living live, li living with my um, husband's mom at, that, that at the time she was living with us. But, I, I, you know, you just build those strategies and I became stronger I in that. Um, so the culture plays a big part, I mm. think. Um, I have since become uh, more involved in the local breast care support groups um, because I wanted to be able to help those women in mm -hmm. a similar position as me that felt that they weren't strong enough to cope or mm -hmm. didn't have anybody to talk to. And, um, you know, and that's been very, very useful in my local town to, to, to not just BAME women, mm -hmm. but to all w w young and old, um, because the, your language, your ability to be able to understand what this really means. Yeah. To be, to be able to understand what your options are. Mm. Uh, because professionals still, and I'm one of them, we, we do tend to reel off a whole lot of acronyms and we talk about surgical procedures like everybody knows mm. what, what it is, mm -hmm. you know, and um, what you're describing there, really that, the, the almost the car crash, isn't it, of I've stepped into, so the journey, let's go all the way back. So the, the extra four years that you had, the, the, I see why you use resilience when you described your leadership style, but the extra four years you had in your training, you know, and having the determination to do that, then navigating your career and actually pushing on. And I do wonder what piqued your curiosity, because when you said I wanted to understand about all the different parts, the different roles, there was something in me that you said, I heard you say it, that there was something in me that told me I needed to be prepared and I needed to understand more and then hearing how that led to your opportunity in Canada. And then, gosh, it's 25 years. So 25 years ago, you got that first head of international recruitment role. And how, how prominent, for anyone working in healthcare at the moment, mm. international recruitment is more prominent than ever before, isn't it? Not yeah. just because it's always happened, but really organizations taking that responsibility now and, and there needs to be more of it. And it will come to that in a moment about not just bringing nurses over and doctors over and just leaving them to their own devices when as you said you have empathy for that because you experienced it even going to Canada where mm. there wasn't a language barrier but there were other barriers that impacted on that and then we're hearing and I'm going to unpick it a bit more with you but we heard about you stepping into the director role chief nurse role but at that same time then having your cancer diagnosis and making a really brave decision mm. um, to 
hold that private and, and why you held that private and um, wanting to protect, if that's the way I could describe mm -hmm. it, wanting to protect your mum and your mother-in-law from that, that worry, mm. massively brave decision. So if I flip the script, because you mentioned in there what you were sharing about, you said when you had a chief exec who asked you, what do you want to do? And you mentioned your accountable officer when you was at the CCG being kind. What else would you want to tell us about the support or what things helped you? What things have helped you on your journey so far? So a handful of people that really listened and wanted to know. Mm -hmm. You know, that is the biggest thing because when you first encounter somebody, you can tell straight away whether they're really interested or not. You know, but if they've got a couple of minutes to sit down and have a coffee or, you know, and just say, right, tell me what matters, you know. Um, and that's something that I've put two and two together recently is we spend all our life saying, well, what's the matter with you then? Mm. You know, but if we flip that to what matters to you mm. and in my lifetime, I think, especially as far as my career is concerned, only a handful of people really said what matters to you, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and and once that was valued, um, I think that was really that was really something that helped to move things forward. Um, I, I think apart from those handful of people that really helped and, and they, you know, they are the, the people that I look up to and they were my role models in the whole of my career and even still now. I respect them, you know, I follow them, I'm still in touch with them and it's lovely. Mm. Um, but other things that have helped me that I've been able to engineer on my own, I, I think is my, is that professional curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, is that... I've never taken for granted that somebody's going to just offer it to me. I've had to own it, you know, and and that's something that's really important to me. And I think I'd like to bring that message forward to people is that if you aspire to do something or be somebody, mm. unless you own it, unless you know where it's going to go or how you're going to get there, I'm afraid nobody's going to just come and offer it on a plate for you. You have to do the background. You have to invest in it. You have to probably do those extra hours like I did. I felt doing those extra bits of curriculum, as I call it, extra extracurriculum activities, like being a, a governor on a school board, mm -hmm. for instance. Mm -hmm. Nothing doing nursing. Mm -hmm. But it gave me a different perception. Mm -hmm. It gave me a different understanding that gave me the confidence to know to be able to how to talk to different people from different walks of life, um, just to understand their world. And, not, and in a way, to be able to understand my own children's world, because they were at school. So I think you need to, I, I learned that I needed to invest that. Um, and, and then also in other activities, which are not paid. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know that, do you do that? Or do you spend that time with your family? Or do you go and find an extra job that's going to pay? But what helped me was to be able to just have in my mind that my end goal was, as a nurse, we all aspire to be achieve nurse mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I did mm -hmm. and, and, may, and maybe not everybody does nowadays but because I have spoken to a lot of people and I've said well you know what's your next plan um, and in fact some of them don't want to be chief nurses mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. and um, but mine was uh, but I, I also thought that I couldn't be because there weren't many chief nurses that looked like me mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and um, I was like well I haven't seen one that looks like me so is it something that I will be able to achieve? Um, and I think I having these different experiences made me think, well, I think like them, I can talk like them. 
I can't look like them. Mm. But I think we've got lots of things in common. So if I can overlook this, well, do I look like them? Then I'm there. And my opportunity that I sort of had to engineer at the Strategic Health Authority, I had to take a sideways move. And and I think that's probably something that I'm bent, I'm quite lucky I've been able to do in my career mm-hmm. is sort of just look forward and think, right, I'm in this role now. A couple of years' time, I'd like to do something a bit different. How do I get there? And then being able to set my sights on getting yeah. there. I've done a, a, a lot of shadowing. I've taken a lot of um, secondment type of opportunities. I've I, I've gone into meetings and um, done things that are outside of the realm of my job description. And people have sometimes wondered, well, what's she, what's she doing here? Yeah, you know, <laughs> like you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I've had to had to do that um, with, with, with consent, obviously, and um, and that put me in a position where I think you you know it's like you're building that tool bag, and that's exactly what it gave me. It gave me all these different tools in my tool bag to be able to sell myself going forward and then when I took the sideways move at the Strategic Health Authority as head of patient safety and quality for the Midlands and East 44 organizations mm. that really opened up the 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 idea again that gosh I could be chief nurse because I was working with chief nurses all the time really interesting what you said there about I was lucky enough to take sideways moves and I want to call that out because so many people will think, well, I don't want to take a sideways move. I know, where, like you said, th- there's so many gems you just shared there. There's so many gems. But that thing, what you were saying there about you looking ahead, you know, thinking in your career planning and progression, where do I want to be in the next two years? Do I want to be here? Um, and I, don't, I, I absolutely would disagree with you 100%. It's not luck. It's planning. You planned and you had the foresight to say, well, I'm going to take a sideways move because... Um, and I just think there's so much in here when people say that I want a mentor, you know, there aren't enough mentors to go around. Like what you were just saying, Manji, there aren't mentors who look like me in the roles that I want to get to. I want to get to the boardroom. I want to be an executive and I don't see anyone who looks like me or the people who do, they've already got 10 mentees. They can't. Please listen to this conversation. This is live mentorship because what you just said there is I did shadowing. Yeah, I took a secondment. I took a sideways move. I spoke to people outside of the meeting. I got into meetings where I could speak. I asked to go there. I knew that was going to help me. And you said, own it. So if people think, keep it simple, what you said there in everything, you said, own it. Own your career, own your progression, own your journey. That's what I heard from you loud and clear. Mm. Because then you navigate what you want. You know what you're asking for. You know what you're looking for. You know where you're trying to get to. And I think quite often when people want to have that conversation or are seeking support, not everyone, not everyone has done a bit of that thinking first. And if you can do that thinking first, it, the time that you then have with someone like yourself, you can use it so much better. But what you are sharing here, my goodness me, will help so many people who are at that, you know, how, how do I? Mm. It's that question, isn't it? We always get, but how do I? You've just explained it. And another bit of gold that you shared there, that one word to change the question, what's the matter with you? What matters to you? Mm -hmm. Wow. Like that, that just tells you so, that's such a different approach. So people who are saying, you know, how do I, 
How do I really understand where my people, you know, I've got a team, I'm working with this. How do I understand where they're at? How do I, how do I get them on board with this? Mm-hmm. Just changing that to what matters to you yeah. will tell them so something so different. And, yes. and that's what you explained there, isn't it? When yeah. you were asked that question, when you've been asked that question, what it meant, but such powerful practical advice there, what matters to you? Yes. Well, what, one of the when you're appraising or when you're yeah. having a meeting or whether it's work or performance related or even if it's a conversation at home that you're having with somebody, when you say, well, what's the matter with you? What you get out of people is their frustration or mm. the negativity. 100%. She said this, he said that, I can't do this, I can't do that. Yeah. And it's probably it's probably things that you don't have any control over. Yeah. You can't change them, they've happened, Yeah. right? But when you change that script to, well, what matters to you? Yes. It stops them in there because you've not asked them about what's happened mm. you ask them going forward mm. what's important yeah and that's and that's really helped the people that I talk to because they come out then with thinking geez I've got a clear plan now mm. right the past is the past I'm going to draw a line underneath it this is how I'm going to move forward and I've got a plan and these are the things that matter to me and then hopefully you've been able to work together to get get to that stage mm. um, uh, and that's really useful because when they talk about what matters to them that's when you can bring in the conversation about well then what are you going to do about that then? Mm-hmm. are you going to own it are you going to go out and you know I can do x y and z but then you need to do yeah. the rest yeah um, and, and I think if we'd had more of that if I'd had more of that um, you know maybe my um, you know, the journey to get to where I wanted to might have been smoother, yeah. might have been shorter. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I feel very, um, you know, lucky that I had those years of the foundations as well. So whilst I was an enrolled nurse, whilst they probably were the most challenging mm-hmm. four years of my mm-hmm. nursing career, because mm-hmm. I wasn't happy in doing what I was doing, I needed an end goal, needed to be a staff nurse. But as far as setting the foundations were concerned, that's where I learned it. Mm-hmm. That's when I learned it all. I learned not only how to give good, excellent patient care, because I was right with them as being a bedside nurse. I also learned actually the difference between what the bedside nurses do versus what the ward management side mm-hmm. do. I learned that, you know, and then I could pick and choose and role model as to who I wanted to be like, mm-hmm. you know, so it did help. So so let's come to what you we shared when you said, okay, but when I decided that you decided you wanted to be a chief nurse, that was your aspiration. But as you said, you were looking around and there were very few, if not none, you know, around you locally that were. So no ethnically diverse chief nurses and very few, very small handful mm-hmm. nationwide. Yeah. So there was nobody to see to role model who looked like no. you. Um, we've seen some of that move forward. Some of it feels like one step forward, one step back. We've heard from you, you retired. Um, I don't believe there was succession planning and that you were replaced with someone else who were under, was underrepresented. What, what would you want to see now? So in terms of all your years of experience in healthcare, what's the key priority do you think for increasing uh, diversity at senior level? What mm. would you see as the key priority there? Well, we, there's never going to be enough raising awareness, mm-hmm. you know. There's never going to be enough. We've done years and years and years of raising awareness. And I think we're a long way from where we were, mm-hmm. you know, So, but we've still got more to do. So as much awareness raising as possible. Um, but that's not going to be the be all and end all, right? A 
tagged with that, I think individuals need to really own that they want to be that person. And when you go knocking those doors and when you stop banking those and breaking those barriers, people do see you. People will hear you, you know, and then you need to be able to be credible and sit in front of somebody and say, I want to go for that job, right? This is me. Would you support my application? And um, so when we go and see um, a NED or a chair to say, oh, you've advertised a job, I'd like to um, submit an application. This is me. I don't know what you know about me, but this is me. Would you support it? You know, and it's useful to have that information. I don't know how many people do. I have had that conversation with people and I did in the past and I still do. Um, when I see something that's interesting enough, I will pick up the phone and I'll arrange to speak to the person mm -hmm. that is actually leading on it. That's half your battle. You know, it makes it so much easier when you're sitting at an interview and you've already met and spoken to this person. And the fact that you've got their encouragement to say, yes, um, I support your application. Mm -hmm. They're not saying they're going to give you the job. No. There's a process. Mm -hmm. But at least they've listened to who you are and they've mm -hmm. acknowledged that you're the type of person that need that needs. That, that they need on the board. I think a prepara preparation, again, you own it, so you need to prepare. What is it that you're able to offer that, that job? Why should they take you over someone else? And um, the most important thing is that the person themselves have to own it, mm -hmm. right? Because unless they want it, unless they want it bad enough, and that fire in their belly, you know, isn't enough, they're not going to get it. And, if, and, and also for, for people that are hiring, for them to be able to just understand a little bit more about our cultures, what culture, what part it plays in being us. Mm -hmm. Because I've often thought about about me, how have I become me? Mm -hmm. How, what is the becoming of me? And if I ever write a book, I'd be called, <laughs> you know, becoming me. Um, and the, uh, I can't take culture out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I cannot yeah. take it out. I cannot take culture out of it. So you know, to raise awareness and to to diversify, to have different cultures mm. in your team, it's, it's very rewarding. I think, you know, with what you're saying there, I, I, something I've been speaking about a lot, for some people, so the fear of difference is an issue, but there is a, there's a, there's a message that I really keep calling out that hiring people who are underrepresented is not lesser. People who are underrepresented, why do we have talent development programs or leadership development pe uh, programs for people who are underrepresented? It's not because they're lesser than, so it's not that. So some people have a, a rhetoric almost or a story that, that, or a perception, let me use that language, you have a perception that if we are more diverse, it's going to be lesser than, standards are going to drop. No, it isn't. There's two things here. One is that it's imperative that organisations represent the communities that they serve, mm -hmm. imperative, and the staff they serve. The conversation that we have all the time about, like you said, if you look at the NHS as an example, we see much more diversity, particularly racial diversity at lower level roles, more junior roles in the organization. We don't see that the same at the top. So when you said I became a chief nurse, hardly anyone looked like me, this is common and it's still too common. The other thing is about what you said, the power of a diverse boardroom. So one being representative of who you serve means you can serve people better. Um, but also you perform better. The stats mm -hmm. are there. So when you say raising awareness, the stats are there. 
We've got a brilliant, um, I'll try and make sure we link it in the show notes. We've got a brilliant clip of um, Jagtar Singh talking about the power of diverse boardrooms mm -hmm. and why. Why is it important? What is it brought to his organization? Why do boards need to ensure this does not drop off? He mm -hmm. says it. And a lot of people know it, but you're right. A lot of people don't. They say, well, why should I have it? Here's why you should have it. It improves performance. Mm -hmm. You represent the communities and staff you serve. You will maintain and sustain diversity and leadership if you have yeah. that and your yeah. talent pipeline. But let me come back to what you were saying there about owning it. So you owned it. And as you said, when I became a chief nurse, there, well, when I decided that I wanted to be a chief nurse, that I didn't see anyone who looked like me. So you said that you knew you had the capability. You knew you had the understanding, but you didn't see anyone else like it. What gave you the confidence to break the mold? Well, um, it, it was, it was, I was tunnel visioned enough. Uh, I could see that goal. I had convinced myself that I can excel in that role. I would be comfortable and, um, and I had to go for it. Um, so I didn't spend too much time thinking about, well, will I make it? Mm. I spent more time in thinking, how do I make it? Mm. And, um, so I looked around, didn't find anybody that looked like me, but it didn't matter by then. I just needed to be able to have an opportunity um, to trial it out. So I approached a local accountable officer of another CCG and I asked her if I could come and shadow her, you know, and um, she was very willing. And so I went, um, I obviously had the consent from my line manager who was very supportive. And um, those three or four months that I spent with that accountable officer, um, looking at the portfolio of the chief nurse, um, I think that made convince me even more that actually I could do this. I, I can do this. But I think I set myself thinking, I want to do this where I want to do it in my hometown, mm. right? Because these are the people that I live and work amongst. These are people I want to serve. Yes. These are people I want them to be proud of me. Yeah. You know, that, wow, somebody from our town, yeah. you know, is representing us in a commissioning organization. And that was where I felt I could add the most value. And so I went for it. Mm. You know, my hometown um, advertiser role. And um, I don't want this to sound arrogant, but when I went into my interview, I was already convinced that the job was mine. Mm. Back to so. Yeah, yes. I, I had prepared for it. Yes. I knew what my town wanted. Yes. I knew what I could offer, yes. right? And I thought, this job is mine. Yes. And if I don't get it, then I've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. I've done something wrong. I, yeah, um, I was absolutely blown over because um, even though you might convince yourself, you don't believe it until you get the call. Mm. You know, and when I got the call to say the job was mine, I was like, oh my gosh. An enrolled nurse all the way through, mm. after all these years, after all these challenges, you know, after everything that we've been through, I can proudly put my hand up to say I'm the chief nurse. Yes. You know, of yeah. my hometown. Yeah. And that to me was the icing on the cake, you know, and yes, um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, the back set, the, the setback with the, the health. Mm. Okay, but mm -hmm. that's life. Mm -hmm. You know, life, mm -hmm. that's life. And maybe it may be, it made me into an even better chief nurse for my town. Mm. You know, because, you know, when, when you are in that position to be able to represent your people. Yes. In your hometown. Yes. You're in a commissioning organization. 
you're passionate about what you're doing, you're able to influence that change, mm -hmm. you're able to um, deliver, design and deliver those services that your community needs. Well, that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. That's what a commissioning chief nurse does, making sure that you are commissioning services for the people of your area that you serve uh, within the envelope that you've got. And making those deliveries come to fruition is then the challenge of working with your provider organizations yeah. Yeah, yeah. to know that they share the same passion as, as you in delivering that. So, yeah, I think going back, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't want to be a provider chief nurse over commissioner. I love yeah. being a commissioning chief nurse. I still love the world about the whole thing about commissioning. I love that's where I think that would be able to add the most value. So hearing that and hearing you speak so passionately about that and and I see joy in your face when you speak about when you got your role it's just wonderful to relive that with you mm. but you gave it all up you know you, you made the decision to retire and you've started a new business venture so tell me why and tell me what you're doing now okay so I think in the whole career um, of nursing um, I've always moved on quickly you know and getting to the chief nurse um, level was great, mm -hmm. but I knew I, I'd get itchy feet, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But um, I think having the health issue um, was also something that not only made me realize uh, what, it, it helps you to put things into perspective, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So for 40 odd years, all I had concentrated on was my career, you know? And I was very lucky. I had a very, very supportive husband and family to provide childcare when I was there and support me through numerous um, education. I mean, I did both of them. You know, I did my degree after I got married. I did all my nursing education after I got married. So, you know, I have to give credit where it's due. Mm. Um, so without the support of my husband and family, I probably wouldn't be sat here today. Um, so I think it helped me to put things into percep perception and I realized that I needed to perhaps do something a little bit different, mm -hmm. which gave me the freedom to be able to work when I want, do what I want, mm -hmm. and give something back to my family, you know. Um, so my husband and I had a discussion about retirement, and he's like, well, I'm ready when you are, <laughs> you know. And uh, I thought, well, that sounds like a good offer. Yeah, I was lucky enough to have special officer status. I think that had a big part to play. Um, because obviously, you know, your pension and all that mm -hmm. comes into play. So I had special officer status and I put things um, in my life into some kind of order of priority. And I decided that it was the right time to be able to take my retirement. Um, at that time, I wasn't sure whether I was going to set up in business. Mm -hmm. um, I thought I knew that if I did, it, it would always be international recruitment um, because that was where I had 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 my passion for 20 odd years and it still continued mm -hmm. and that's where I felt I was giving back yeah. and in in Punjabi we have this word called seva mm -hmm. and seva means giving back service and that's where I felt I was being able to offer something back to the people that really needed me both sides mm -hmm. not just recruiters but recruitees mm -hmm. uh, as mm -hmm. well and um, after a short time of retirement we took some time out to travel etc and then I thought okay Right, so I'm a little bit bored now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, coming from full-time work yeah, yeah. for nearly 40 years, yeah. right, um, to never having time off, uh, apart from the year that I had off when I was ill, um, to, you know, and that goes back to even school days. 
I was the one person that went up every term to get their accommodation because I was 100% attendance. So attendance to me has been part of my being, mm -hmm. um, you know, so, you know, um, never take sick time off. So being full-time work for all these years and then suddenly sitting, you know, thinking, oh, what, what do I do now? Yeah. And still having feeling that I, I need to give something back. Mm -hmm. um, and that was then made me uh, take the next step. So explain to our listeners, what does MKG Healthcare Solutions offer? Okay, so MKG is my name, Manjeet Korgarcha, and Healthcare Solutions is um, every solution that you can think about in healthcare that once requires um, improvement, you know, and um, as health solutions, those could be productivity, that could be performance, it could be quality assurance, and having worked and lived through mid-staffs and the Francis, uh, inquiry recommendations, working at strategic health authorities, uh, working at the, at the uh, as a chief nurse for C CCG. Um, I think we've always looked for solutions to mm. be able to um, sort out our issues. So, so the name came quite naturally. And what I wanted to do was not just pigeonhole myself into I'm a recruiter. I wanted to be able to, for people to benefit from my 40 years of experience. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's where those years of investment of knowing what primary care do, social services, what they do, what does a midwife do? What do they do locally? What do they do regionally? What do international midwives do? You know, n putting all those jigsaws together then made that tool bag mm -hmm. of mine mm -hmm. even stronger um, so that I was able to offer solutions to people. Uh, and that's what I've been doing for five years. So whether um, a client wants uh, productivity, transformation, um, you know, or workforce um, or, or assistance with recruitment, um, I'm, you know, happy to say that I've been able to help in, in that field. Um, as of the last year, um, I think that's probably the, the next most exciting yeah. stage of yeah. my venture. We're going a little bit more global. Mm. I've really honed back into my experience of being in Canada. So I went to Canada and I touched base with the, the people that I worked with, the managers that I worked with, and I've been able to, you know, uh, come up with a plan to help and support them uh, because they're going forward uh, with, um, with, with not just with midwifery practice, because for many people know midwifery wasn't legal in Canada for many years. You know, they had labor room nurses that didn't have midwives as such. So when they recruited a bunch of us midwives from England, they really got to know how we work, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so went back, touched base with them and spoke about some options, some helping to support professional development of not just midwives, but nurses in Canada. I've had links in with North America, uh, other side in the USA as well. Um, just to help and support similar type of um, innovation in professional practice. Uh, recently involved uh, with opening our office in Abu Dhabi, um, and um, and that's really helped to be able to bring another angle into it. So uh, recruitment overseas, into overseas, um, and looking at different parts of the world that mm -hmm. um, we haven't been able to to work with before. So I think I'm venturing a little bit out of local work yeah, yeah. Uh, into probably a little bit more global, which is nice for many fields because yes. I'm able to give back even more. So an uh, exciting new chapter. Yeah, yeah, very. And if and if listeners want to f um, find out more about 
MKG Healthcare Solutions, particularly this last bit, what you've been describing about your global developments, where can we find out more? Well, um, LinkedIn is live as usual, um, uh, as you know, for anyone, but um, we have a website, MKG Healthcare Solutions, and you'll be able to find out all the information and the testimonies from people that we've helped uh, and our services and how to contact us. Brilliant. So we'll make sure we put that in the show notes. So you'll be pleased to know I've got to final question. Question I ask all of our guests, because listening to what you've just shared with us, you've had a power packed career. It's been busy. And even though you said you retired, business sounds busier than ever now. So how do you maintain balance and look after yourself? It's a really good question. And I'm glad you've asked that uh, because we all get too busy um, to think about ourselves. Um, and um, well, um, I I believe in working hard and then I guess playing hard. <laughs> you know, we love traveling. And um, so, to, you know, are lucky enough to take two or three breaks a year. Um, so, but aside with that, um, I think sometimes I'm working and I don't realize I'm working mm-hmm. because I'm just enjoyed so much. So my phone could ring and it could be somebody from the other side of the world who just wants to discuss a certain issue, right? But I love talking to people, you know, I'll make it into a social. <laughs> uh, and But then when I put the phone down, I'm thinking, oh, that was an hour. And, when, and we were talking work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't find it stressful. I don't find it stressful. I love talking to people. I love socializing. I love to be able to home in to see where I can. But when I talk about my own personal, I think, you know, I do enjoy my days off. Um, I, I, I have got better at turning my phone off on my yeah. days off. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could do better. Um, I have, uh, as I've mentioned before, a 98 year old mom, mm. you know, and I go and spend a lot of time with her. And it's really great listening to her and her experiences. And we're trying to build up a family tree now. Mm. And so every time I go, I'm trying to delve back into her history and how, you know, how she grew up and experiences that she had mm-hmm. um, and the challenges. Yeah. And, and sometimes she says something and I think, geez, well, that, that hasn't changed to this day. Mm. You know, that, that those things, those kind of challenges are still rife today. So we have a long way to go. But I think I've got a well-balanced life now. Uh, I've got my grandchildren, I've got my children, I've got my family, mm-hmm. uh, and they're the most important thing. But then on the back of that, I, I still continue to work, but it's work that I love and enjoy. Manjeet, thank you so much. This has been such a, such an, I want to say insightful. I don't, I don't know if that's the word I want to use. I feel like I want to use incredible because what I really took away from this is um, the power of self-belief. Mm-hmm. You said, oh, it sounds arrogant. No, it didn't. It didn't. It was the power of self-belief. It was the power of determination. You used the word resilience. Um, But many different times in your journey, that's come up for you. And just, you really unpacked in our conversation today how you did it. What helped you along the way? How you overcame challenges? When you had to make courageous decisions? um, Really hitting some crunch points in your career. And just what a beautiful way to end the conversation with you saying, you know, I am working, but I love what I do and I enjoy it. It doesn't feel like work. Mm -hmm. And the culmination of that, your journey and and your determination, where I really heard your determination come out was one, when you spoke about representing your community and the joy you felt of achieving that in your hometown, in in the most senior nursing role, but also here when you're speaking about globally, and wanting to help professional development 
in many countries worldwide and being able to use that avenue to give back um, and share your experience as well. Like I just think if you listen to this conversation as an aspiring clinician, you know, as an inspiring someone who wishes to progress in their career, you may or may not be from an underrepresented group. But if you listen to this conversation, you will take something away from it is what I believe. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you.